The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken in, confession, in connection with the Articles of Belgic Confession, uh, Articles 2 and 3 of the Belgic Confession. And so we'll be reading from Psalm 19, which you'll be able to find on page 628 of your book of praise looking at God's revelation of himself through creation and then his special revelation through his word. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The Word of God. Let us now read together from what we confess in the Belgic Confession, Articles 2 and 3, and you'll be able to find that on page 499 of your Book of Praise. Article 2, how God makes himself known to us. We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many letters leading us to perceive clearly God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 verse 20. All these things are sufficient to convict men and leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy divine word. As far as is necessary for us in this life to his glory and our salvation. Article 3, the word of God. We confess that this word of God did not come by the will of man, but that men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as the Apostle Peter says. Thereafter, 
in his special care for us and our salvation, God commanded his servants, the prophets and apostles, to commit his revealed word to writing. And he himself wrote with his own finger the two tables of the law. Therefore, we call such writings holy and divine scriptures. And this afternoon, we'll be focusing in particular on Article 2 of the Belgian Confession in relation to Psalm 19. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, have you ever reflected on how privileged you are just to know that there is a God who exists, who you can interact with and who cares about you? It's something we often take for granted, but taking a moment right now, think about that. We have a God who we know is there. But more than that, we have a God who reveals himself to us, not just as God, but as a God who establishes relationships with humanity. This world we live in allows us in so many ways to get things without having to establish relationships. We don't need the long-term connections to get our hands on anything anymore. And if things get complicated, one of the first tendencies we have is to back out. We don't have to reveal anything about ourselves. Less and less, we need to expose ourselves to the hurt that others could inflict on us. We can keep them at a distance with a click of a computer mouse. But God is different. He could keep us at a distance, but he chooses not to. Instead, God reveals himself to mankind. But not only does he reveal himself, but he chooses to build a lasting relationship with mankind founded on his own person, on his own character, on his own goodness, on his own grace. He chooses to maintain and repair it where his people are concerned. And he calls us to a response. And so today, we will see that under the following theme and points, our God reveals himself to us. And we'll see, first of all, the incredible nature of this revelation. Second, the special nature of this revelation. And third, the humble response to this revelation. Now, we do not know what David's life setting was when he wrote this psalm. But his nights as a shepherd under the starry sky, far away from civilization, would not have been far from his mind while he was writing this psalm. Later as king, the duties of king would have been in mind as well. Deuteronomy 17, which we read this morning as well, especially highlights those duties in verses 18 to 20. David would have been reminded, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests and the Levites. And it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. 
As king, it was of absolute importance that David recognized who God was. The way the king went, the nation followed. So God made certain to put out the highest standards for those meant to rule. But even though it was his duty as king to be well acquainted with the ways of the Lord God, King David never let how familiar God and his word was to him to bore him. It can tempt us sometimes. You know, we're raised in a setting in which we, as Reformed Christians, if if we have been raised in this setting, in this church setting, then we're raised in a situation in which we have our parents teaching us, reading us Bible stories from the youngest age before they tuck us into bed. And then later as we grow older, we get to understand it more clearly as they're reading from the Word of God at the dinner table and as our parents are explaining it to us. And then we get older yet and we go through catechism classes and we get to learn about the wonder of this world and the wonder of the God who made it and who deals with us. And then as we grow older yet, we get to profess our faith in this God. We are, are, are drenched in it from beginning to end. And somehow, along the line, it can become the same old, same old for us. But David never allowed this to happen for himself. He still never lost his wonder at the fact that God was his God and that God had chosen to reveal himself to mankind, to the people of Israel, and to David personally as well. Now, in that more general sense, God revealed himself to man through his presence and his actions in the world. We read in Romans 1 verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and divine nature. And we see this described in our psalm today. With poetic glory, King David describes how day and night the skies above proclaim the existence and the power of God. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. People speak of music as the universal language in which people can feel the emotions of others. And if you've ever heard the musical theme of Schindler's List, you would know the feeling of heartbreak and sorrow. If you've ever heard the flurry of notes from Vivaldi's composition on spring, you would get a picture of the new life that bursts forth after a long winter. But none of that holds a candle to how powerfully God himself is portrayed in creation. David writes, There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. All of mankind is exposed to this created world. You are living in it. You have five senses with which to explore this world that you dwell in. And the knowledge that there is a God is absolutely unmistakable. Creation needs no translator. You just need to be alive to receive the witness 
of this world to the power and wisdom of the one who designed it. It is as a beautiful book with so many letters that point us to the one who created it. And it speaks to man, no matter his language. Listen to the thunder, shake the heavens on a stormy day, and see if you do not hear echoes of the voice of God. Look at the rays of the sun breaking through the clouds in the skies after a storm, as the fingers of God were reaching down. See when it sets with its burning orange, its pale fire, and its pink hues. And see if you do not hear creation crying out in awe at the glory of its creator. Look at the stars above when the day turns to night and see the vastness of the night wheeling overhead. These pictures of creation speak in every language. They cry out, see how beautifully I'm made. Is my creator not infinite in wisdom and perfect in detail? And creation's vastness itself goes even beyond what we're able to wrap our minds around. We read in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into the heart of man, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. It's built into man's DNA, engraved on his very heart, that such majesty and wonder points to the one who is eternal. But even with eternity written on the hearts of man, no single person is able to wrap their minds around the vastness of the work of God from the beginning of creation to its end, from here to the farthest reaches of the universe. The totality of God's created handiwork is simply too much for the simple, single human mind to contain. Heaven and earth cry out to God's glory. And man as we read in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 there, is programmed to respond. It's written on his heart. But even with eternity written on, our, on his heart, man continues to suppress the truth. Heaven and earth cry out to God's glory, and man is programmed to respond. Yet, as Romans 1 continues, mankind suppresses the truth. Man can't help responding. Mankind cannot help recognizing that there is something out there. But what sinful man can do is bury that response under waves of skepticism, dull it on the rocks of doubt, drown it with unbelief. But even though mankind tries to suppress the truth, and even though the devil encourages this and darkness tries to swallow the light, it cannot overcome. The popular atheist speaker Sam Harris was recently at, at a debate with the equally popular semi-religious clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson in London. Asking the audience how many of them still believed in God, he turned to Jordan Peterson in the midst of their cheers. He pointed to them as he did so and said with immense frustration, this is my concern. For all of his efforts, 
and the efforts of his fellow radical atheists, Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, and the late Christopher Hitchens, the ones who went on tour calling themselves the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, saying that with this tour, they were going to wipe out intellectual Christianity. He was still not able to destroy belief in God. Because God has written it on the hearts of man. Men like Sam Harris will never win because the heavens will continue to speak and bear witness long after such men have come and gone. Because even if every last human witness to the majesty and power of God was silenced, the stones themselves would cry out that his eternal power and his divine nature are still there. And that's the witness that King David pointed to. That's the reason for this resounding hymn of praise belonging to him that rings out with the opening words of his psalm. This is the incredible nature of God's revelation. He has no need to reveal himself to the people in this world, especially considering the fact that after the fall, we rejected him. He could have stripped us of our ability to think and to reason and made us no different than the dumb beasts of the field. Instead, in love, he let us keep a certain amount of that light of nature within ourselves that we could have some sense of order and some sense of what is good and what is right. And in addition to this, for those who believe, he gave the ability to have our faith encouraged by seeing his hand at work in creation. But even King David knew that simply seeing God's handiwork in creation and hearing it bear witness was not enough to truly know God. Even King David knew the truth that was spoken by Paul in that verse from Romans 1, verse 20 and 21 that we read before. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and divine nature, his Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because of mankind's sin, because of mankind's fall into sin, he suppresses the truth. His foolish heart is darkened. He rejects God as he truly is. And he turns to go his own way. And so we need more than just revelation in this world. We need more than just God's self-revelation through creation. And this brings us to a fascinating shift in our psalm where David goes from God to Lord. We need our God to reveal himself to us as Lord. If you'll notice in Psalm 19, that shift is readily evident. At first, it seems like these two pieces of the psalm are a little bit disconnected. You know, it starts off talking about the Lord and talking about creation and suddenly it switches over to the law and you're thinking, well, what's going on? 
Well, it's because here David is making the switch in his progression from speaking about God as the divine creator of all to speaking about him as Lord. Those capital letters point you to the Hebrew word Yahweh, the covenant God, the one who specially reveals himself to his people. And that brings us to the second point, special nature of this revelation. When we look at the world, we recognize that God does reveal himself in two ways. And the first is general revelation. As the Belgian Confession so eloquently put it, we know him by the creation, the preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes a most, as a most beautiful book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many letters leading us to perceive clearly God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20. But these two books are not equal. As we saw Paul write just a moment ago, it's not enough for our salvation simply to have that knowledge of God's eternal power and divine nature. Because all mankind does with it is abuses it and uses it to suppress the truth. All it does through that is leave mankind without any excuse because he knows that God exists. And he knows by his own actions that he elevates himself above God. That he elevates his own desires and his own lusts above the throne of God. You ask anybody on the street, any rational person, on the street. Have you ever done anything which your conscience told you not to? Well, yeah, they'll confess to that. Have you ever lied? Many of them, yeah, they'll confess to that. They know the truth, and yet they, in that moment, have elevated themselves above it. So it's enough to leave mankind without excuse. But despite man's rebellion, God establishes a relationship. He establishes a relationship as the Lord, the covenant God, Yahweh. As the Old and New Testament describe it, God chooses for himself out of all the nations of the earth a bride. He chooses his people and he writes his love letters and declarations of unswerving faithfulness to her in the form of his holy and divine word, the Bible. As the Belgian Confession goes on to say, God makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his divine, holy and divine word, as far as is necessary for us in this life, to his glory and to our salvation. And it's this fact, God choosing for himself a people and choosing to reveal himself to them as their God, as their Lord, that makes David stand in awe here. It results in an outpouring of praise from David. He describes it as a jeweler would describe the most perfect diamond, looking at it from every facet, every face, and speaking with wonder about every different part of it. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, 
making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. It was awe-inspiring to David. The revelation of God's word was awe-inspiring to David. He could see how special and precious it was that God revealed himself in his word to his people. He could see how unique it was that God would choose to approach man, that God would allow man to have a relationship with him. But most importantly, the fact that God warns man stuns him. The Lord knows that man is steeped in sin, and so the Lord intervenes. He gives his chosen people a way out. Not only does he give them the sweet knowledge that their sins will be washed away, by the symbol of the blood of sacrifices, which we later learn point to Jesus Christ. But he also gives them laws and directions. Not only does he give them his word in which he declares that he sets his people free, but he gives them a blueprint on how to live in this newfound freedom. He shows him the best possible way to live in this world. And while from an outside perspective, the physical reward might not seem like much, the spiritual reward of living to the glory of God is a gift that far outweighs anything the world would offer. You see, David recognized that there was no need for God to reveal himself to humanity in this way. No need to reveal himself in this special way, even beyond just the creation of the world. There was no reason for him to make or maintain a relationship with man. He's so far above that at the moment of, after the fall into sin, he could have made sure that the relationship never happened again. This has happened before. It's happened before with the demons. Demons who are fallen angels have their fate locked in stone. There is no redemption that the Bible speaks about for demons. At the end of days, the devil and his angels, demons, will be cast into the lake of fire. This God declared from the time they fell. 2 Peter 2 verse 4, God did not spare angels when they sinned. And he was perfectly right and perfectly just to do so. For mankind, this could also have been true. Yet God, out of his mercy, still continues to reveal his eternal power and his divine nature to them. More than that, he reveals to them how, he, how they can be saved. He reveals to them that he is their rock and their redeemer. Brothers and sisters, we are privileged we are privileged beyond all measure. So often we pick this up and we don't think much of it. The fact that we have the very word of God in our hands. 
So often we have it in the mornings, you and me both, that we wonder, oh, should I do devotions this morning? Oh, life is getting a little bit busy right now. You know what? I've got something that I need to work on. We'll just set it aside for now. But what you and I both need to understand is that this is the holy and inerrant word of God. That this is God reaching out to his people. God pouring out his love to his people. We are in a special position to receive this. We are so blessed and so unworthy and so undeserving to be recipients of this kind of love. Let's not so easily set it aside. God, out of his mercy, still continues to reveal his eternal power and his divine nature. And he reveals himself through his word, but he most especially reveals himself through his son. The one who is, as the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1 verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 1 verse 18, the one who makes the Father known. And it's the special revelation of his Son as the Word made flesh that makes the law of God especially comforting for us today. For you and I would not be counted among the people of God if it was not for his sake, if it was not for the sake of Jesus Christ, that Word made flesh. It was Christ coming into the world that made it possible for us to be accepted as his people. It was Christ's mercy to us in making himself known and in joyfully offering himself up on our behalf that made it possible for us to be washed clean of sin and stain. And having been washed clean, to be granted this blueprint, to be granted the opportunity to live for him. And that brings us into our third point. The humble response to this revelation. Now some people, on hearing the law, they say, I still feel my sin so greatly. I see my shortcomings echoed in the shortcomings of the people that we find on the pages of Scripture. And that law feels so heavy. How can I find the law as beautiful as David did? In this case, it helps to remember who the author of our psalm truly was. David was a broken and sinful man like any others. He confesses that he was drenched in sin from the time he was conceived. He fell short his whole life long. He even sank to such a depth once he committed adultery and then committed murder to cover it up. He sank to such a depth that he committed adultery, pardon me, and he committed murder to cover it up. This in itself, just recognizing how real the people on the pages of Scripture are, brothers and sisters, should be something that should stand out to us. I'm reminded of a while back when we were in seminary and we went to a mosque. And the imam there declared what is believed in Islam. He spoke to us about how in Islam they believe that the Bible is perverted because it shows 
these sins and weaknesses of great prophets like David. It shows the sins of we- and weaknesses of men like Abraham. It shows the sins and weaknesses of men like Isaac. But it's for our comfort that these fallen men were written into the pages of Scripture. Because we can see how broken men can come before God in humble repentance. David, after he committed adultery, was filled with sorrow. You can read about that in, de- in detail in Psalm 51. But even here in our psalm, we get a small taste of what a truly humble and repentant heart looks like. We can see his humble response to God's self-revelation as a holy and awesome God. And his humble response, especially to a God who despite his own sins and weaknesses would still want to live in relation with his people. A God who made it possible for his people to stand as clean and holy before him. Look at what he says here in verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Who can understand his errors, he writes. Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, and then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. You see, David understood how easily the heart deceives. When we look at this psalm, and we see those references to the beauty of the law of the Lord, we shouldn't miss the fact that he understood how easily the heart deceives. And so he prays that he would be cleansed of secret faults and kept from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins would be deliberate sins, sins that presume on the goodwill and the grace of God, sins that are committed knowingly. But those aren't the only sins he wants dealt with. He also wants God to cleanse him from secret faults. David was humble enough to know that, the sin, that sins that reveal themselves in our lives are only the tip of the iceberg. Often, when believers catch themselves in sin, especially when it's a big sin, they're shocked at how it could possibly come to pass that they themselves committed something so terrible. But it's been a lifetime of sins that flowed under our radar that led us to this point. Sins that we are so used to that we become blind to them. And a true Christian recognizes that. A true believer recognizes the need for the blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to wash him inside and out. To cleanse him of things visible and of things invisible to the world. And he prays for God to set things right. He prays for God to remove even the secret faults, faults that he's unaware of. And one of the most evident ways that we can ask God or find answer to God's prayer to cleanse us of secret faults is to invite fellow Christians into our lives. For many of us, we don't even need to look farther than our own spouse. When you pray, cleanse me from hidden faults, do you pray that sincerely? Are you humble enough to make room for the work of of the Spirit by examining your life according to the Word of God and asking fellow Christians to hold you accountable? Or does your pride push out 
the work of the Spirit here? Does your feeling of self-worth get overly injured when your spouse, your wife or your husband, or your brother or sister, your coworker points out your sins? David humbles himself saying, cleanse me from hidden faults, because he genuinely wants to be free from sin. He asks to be kept from the sins which he knowingly commits, but he also genuinely prays that the Lord would free him from these secret faults. Not because he wants to earn anything by this, but because he desires righteousness. Not that because the righteousness that he gains by this will earn anything. He's cleansed by sacrifices. But because he genuinely wants holiness in his life. He wants as much as is possible to live this life, to live a life that is righteous. And this is what we find in Christ as well, beloved. You see, the law is no longer a condemnation. In Christ, the law is no longer our condemnation. Certainly, it's a mirror that we can look at ourselves by and examine our lives. But if we are truly in Christ, we will not stand convicted. However, if we are truly in Christ, then we also won't stand idly by when we find sin in our lives. We also won't coast, but we will seek out to root out the sin that is in our lives, praying to God to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, to perfect us more and more until that final day. Christ said of believers, you'll know them by their fruits. He said, if you love me, you will do what I command. And then he gave his Holy Spirit to make this possible. Who can understand his errors? Is not the cry of a man who sees himself as standing completely bereft of all hope in front of God. Who can understand his errors is a cry of the believer who recognizes himself as holy and righteous before God and desires to seek the perfection, to seek God's perfection. Today we know that we live in a time of the already but the not yet. Those who believe in Christ have been declared righteous by God but we do not yet live in the fullness of that righteousness. And so we can still cry, who can understand his errors? There's more to my sinfulness than I know. And it's a frank confession, but it's also a comforting confession. Because we know then that God will answer our prayer to cleanse us from hidden faults. Then the law becomes something that is beautiful. The law becomes something that can guide us. We are not declared unrighteous by it, but it becomes something to, by which we are led by God. And through Christ, our sins will not have dominion over us because he is our Lord. He is our strength and he is our redeemer, as we read in the final verses of our psalm. He's the fullness of the hope to whom we can look and for his sake, the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart are indeed acceptable 
in the sight of God. For his sake, we ourselves, in our fullness, are acceptable in the sight of God. Beloved, let us hold this as precious, that God has revealed himself, that God has revealed himself in creation, and that he has reached out to us through his word, that he cleanses us through the blood of Christ and guides us through his spirit. Let us stand in awe of that as we go our separate ways here today and glorify God. Amen.